You're listening to VO Stories, Episode 99. Hi, I'm Tina Zaremba, voiceover talent, mentor, and good old-fashioned storyteller. I believe we all have a story to tell. We can all learn from one another. I created this podcast for you, the VO artist who's ready to embrace all that your VO journey has to offer. You'll be inspired, informed, and transformed as you learn from industry experts, VO talents, and my insights from 15 years in the industry, having voiced national commercials to promos and everything in between. Success in voiceovers is more than just a snazzy voice, and this podcast will help show you the way. Thanks for listening. Hey, friends, here we are again. It's Thursday. How's everyone doing today? Well, I am super pumped for today's guest. You'll hear me say at the beginning of our conversation, it's like deja vu. Unfortunately, the first time we recorded the file got, it's somewhere in the ether, and she was kind enough to record with me again. She is awesome. Maria Pendolino, I actually kind of have a girl crush on her. I got off our chat and was just fired up. She's actually doing two episodes with us. Maria is not only an incredible talent, but a huge advocate for negotiating fair rates. In our conversation, Maria not only shares her story to voiceovers, niches she voices in, why she feels we need to be negotiating with our clients, and so much more. I could go on and on and on about how fabulous she is. I mean, she operates from a place of excellence. And when you meet people like that, they just rub off on you and you feel great. So I'm flying high from this interview. Without further ado, here's our chat. Maria. Deja vu. It's like we, we're here again. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking with me. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I want to start off by asking you your story to finding voiceovers and how you ended up here. Yeah. So for me, voiceover was originally just kind of a, a stopgap in between other bookings. So I was in New York City. I was pursuing a career as a actor, mostly doing TV, film, and theater jobs. And I booked a role on an episodic show that was filming in Charleston, South Carolina called Army Wives, which was on Lifetime. And I had three episodes that were kind of across like a two-month period or something. So I was kind of booked out just waiting for my episode dates and what days I would be traveling. I really couldn't book anything else. And I was like, man, I wish I could, there was something else I could do that was, you know, short and quick and I could make money in between these, these shooting days. And a friend of mine said, you know, hey, I think, you know, commercials tend to, you know, cast pretty quickly, move pretty quickly. You should look into that. So I just signed up for one of those kind of one night seminars that they have at at the different workshop educational companies. I got to read a, a piece of copy for a voiceover casting director. And that was like the light bulb moment. I was like, wow, this is really fun. I would, I'd love to do more of this. So, um, I sought out some training and, you know, got to audition for some of the projects that she was working on and eventually found my way to having uh, representation, having a voiceover agent. And then it just kind of grew from there. I learned about all of the things beyond, you know, just commercials and what, you know, what a voice is doing in advertising, but all of these other things like, you know, doing uh, work for telephone systems and IVR and telephony, explainer videos, e-learning narration, kind of all of these different things that, that have a voice uh, attached to them that, you know, I'd never thought about before. I never thought about the person who's telling you to press one or press two and you're screaming representative into the phone. I didn't realize that was a job. So yeah, it it just kind of grew from there. And um, I've now been doing kind of voiceover as my primary 
pursuit as an actor for, for nearly 10 years. Okay. I was just going to ask you what year that was. So that was around 2010 that you Mm -hmm. started. And did you decide on a niche? Like I'm going to focus on commercials or I'm going to focus on telephony. I don't know. I didn't really. I think one of the things that I found out pretty quickly that I was good at is that I was in a very efficient narrator. So the long form stuff came really easy to me because I didn't make a lot of mistakes. So, you know, if I was reading like a 15, you know, minute e-learning course or something, I wouldn't have a ton of pickups within my session. So I kind of, I steered towards that in addition to kind of waiting for, you know, great commercial opportunity auditions to come in from my, my different agents that represent me in different media markets. But all of the kind of long form and industrial narration came really easy to me. I decided that I did not love doing audiobooks <laughs> pretty yeah. early on. I did a few, really proud of the ones that I've done, but it just wasn't it just wasn't a great genre for me for ROI and my time based on the other volume of stuff that I had coming in. And then just recently I've, you know, explored some other stuff, you know, recently explored a little bit of radio imaging, recently kind of added a new political demo to my wheelhouse and I'm working on a new automotive demo. So I've kind of expanded my niches. But when I look down at my my breakdown for 2019, my income was derived from about 50% commercial, about 36% anything in the corporate narration. So e-learning, corporate narration space, like 16% just straight explainer videos, and then everything else was the rest. So pretty pretty good breakdown. But yeah, I'm, I, I guess I consider myself a little bit of a genre chameleon. There's not one thing that I do so much better than anything else or one thing that is all of my, my income and then I just dabble in others. Well, that's a good thing. They say diversify your portfolio. So it sounds like Absolutely. You're, you're there. So you've sort of become an expert here in advocating for VO talent when it comes to negotiating rates. And I'm curious how that came to pass. Yeah, I think it started as a offshoot of um, my kind of default state, which is bossy Italian. And I love telling people what to do. (laughs) I have memories of like my childhood friends, like running home and crying because I was too bossy at Barbies. Um, But yeah, it just, you know, people constantly are posting on the myriad of voiceover Facebook groups, just asking for help for quoting. You know, I had a client who reached out to me and they want to do this. What should I quote? And I found it really easy to just chime in and be like, this is how much you should quote. You know, we've got great rate guides that are published out there that you can use as a guideline. And then kind of my secret weapon is that I worked at a bank um, for 10 years prior to becoming an actor. So when I graduated from college, I got a full-time job in banking, which I kind of used just to get me to New York City. And then I ended up working in banking for several years. So I've always been kind of comfortable talking about money because it was just part of my job. You know, at my job at the bank, I was helping people get loans. I was helping people who had overdrafted their checking account because they used their debit card to buy too many lattes. You know, I was, you know, referring people to our financial advisor uh, for investments and things like that. So just talking about money was something that I was pretty comfortable with. So uh, I think it was a combination of, you know, that kind of financial acumen that I got through that kind of side career that I had never really planned on pursuing, but ended up, you know, working there for a little bit. And then also just being, just being kind of like a confident person when it came to business negotiation. I think there's an interesting intersection between art and commerce. Voiceover is an art. We are actors, we are uh, performing and we have a craft and that's definitely a thing, but people use our voice in commerce. And it's not just for 
the love of doing it, but it's also to help people derive profits from the things that we do. And I've always had a pretty good grasp on that. So, you know, I know when it's time to say my time and my contribution to your project has worth and should be compensated as such versus doing something as a passion project. You know, a a industrial narration for a Fortune 50 company is not a passion project. So being able to to kind of walk that fine line between art and commerce and and knowing your personal worth and just being comfortable talking about it. Maybe just a little bit of repetition there can help for people who didn't come from working 10 years at a bank, but just keeping it out in the open and, and doing it more and more. Why do you think this is so important for voiceover talent to be advocates for themselves? I mean, I think there's just a lot of money on the table. And I think people don't necessarily realize that. I think as actors, sometimes we feel like it's just our job to say yes. Like whatever whatever you're mm-hmm. saying, you're going to pay me. I'll just say yes, because this could be the last job. If I don't say yes, it won't lead to the next one or that kind of fear. And there is money on the table. I think sometimes people search for a voiceover talent and maybe they've never hired a voiceover talent before. Maybe that's not part of their kind of like day-to-day activity. And they just honestly don't know what they should be paying. So they just throw out a random number and they don't tell you that it's just a random number. They just say, this is the number. And I think people get caught and they don't know how to respond to that. They don't know if they should just say, yes, thank you. Or no, I could never do it for that much. Or, you know, saying something like, okay, thank you so much for throwing that number out. Actually, that's not really in line with the way we charge for things or whatever, what I would normally quote is this. And I think people just get so flustered in that moment. Like as soon as a number comes out of client or a voice seeker's mouth, I think it just puts like, you know, this fear, this icy stare out, you know, but it's a conversation. It's a two-way street. You know, I think, I think you have to give yourself a little bit of grace and space as you are talking to these people and building quotes and negotiating for yourself and advocating for your talent and your worth as a, as a performer, as a business person, as a freelancer. But you also have to give grace and space to the person on the other end of the line. They may not necessarily be trying to take advantage of you. I don't look at I don't look at every email that I, you know, receive from someone as, you know, that they're they're a bad actor out there and they're just trying to take advantage of of lowly performers. Sometimes it's just truly based on just a lack of knowledge and never having done it before. So, you know, I try and give them just a little breathing room as well and understand that negotiation is a conversation. Where do you point voice talent to when it comes to having an idea, what is a fair rate for a certain job? Yeah, absolutely. So I have three kind of websites that I keep, you know, in my bookmarks bar on my browser that I kind of always am referring back to. So the first is the GVAA rate guide that's produced by the Global Voice Acting Academy. Really, really great, really detailed, especially helpful when you're trying to calculate usage for something that has paid advertising buy behind it. The Gravy for the Brain rate guide, I also really like, has some great information. And they've also tried to include what the SAG after scale for a job would be alongside. So you can kind of compare what, you know, the non-union industry standard is commanding compared to what the SAG after scale is. And then also the SAG-AFTRA Twin Cities office has a beta calculator online. It's not perfect, but you can enter in some numbers and say, you know, if this were a union job, what the client would be paying to you, the talent, as your session fee, what they'd be contributing to pension and health, kind of the fringes. So you can use that as just kind of a, a number um, to help you decide. But yeah, I think there's there's a lot of great resources. And then just the community, you know, knowing that you can you know, pop into a a Facebook group. I know Women in VoiceOver is one that I'm a member of where I see a lot of posts or the Voice Actors of New York City Facebook group where people know that they can come to a friendly community and just say, please help me. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think it's important at the same time, you listed some great resources to do a little bit 
uh, due diligence on your end as talent and not always rely on um, other talent to give you the rate, you know? Yes, exactly. What it should be. You spoke at a conference here in New York, Vocation, and I know you were received with glowing remarks. Talk a little (laughs) bit about that and what you, you spoke on this topic that we're talking about, a little bit about your presentation. Yeah, absolutely. I was really excited to be invited by Karen and Jamie to present at Vocation. I thought it was really exciting to have a conference that was about the business of voiceover. And I just put together a a negotiation presentation, basically went through some of my do's and don'ts about negotiation. I shared some of my phrasing that I use to try and help keep the conversation going with someone when you're performing an email or telephone negotiation for a job. And then the thing that I think blew people's minds (laughs) at the conference was I set up what I called the negotiation Thunderdome. And I had five scenarios that I had built from examples of work that I had actually booked in 2019 and took the client names and everything out, but just gave you kind of the the basic idea. And I invited two voice actors to come up and kind of battle each other in the negotiation Thunderdome and say, you know, what they would quote and why. And then I showed them what the job actually paid. And what was really fun was just to see just the, the, the gasps of delight, shock, excitement, when everyone realized how much money they were leaving on the table. What was an example of one of the jobs? Was it like an explainer video? There was one one that I gave an example that was a series of like four or five videos that I did that was for a nonprofit organization. So kind of the keyword there was nonprofit. Sure. Um, The videos were kind of instructions on how to give someone their medication who's going through some type of cancer. So they've, they're have they out of the hospital, they've gone home, and the video is kind of for their caregiver to watch on how to give them their daily medication. So non-commercial, non-advertising, educational, informative, and a series of videos, so five videos. And, you know, the people came up and gave their quote and, you know, said things like, well, it's for a nonprofit, so they probably don't have a big budget. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, I would quote maybe $175 a video or $200 a video. And, you know, everyone was like, yeah, I would feel good about that. Like if I, if I got that paycheck, I'd feel good about it. And one of the things that I tried to emphasize at Vocation was in a negotiation, when you're starting off, always ask if the client has a budget. So before you start throwing numbers out onto the table, ask them, do you have a budget in mind? And if they say no, please prepare a quote, then you prepare a quote. But if they say, yes, I have a budget, it's this, you can either say, yes, that works fine or continue the negotiation. So in that situation, those five videos that I did, actually, the client paid $500 per video. So the total project was $2,500. And, you know, people got kind of caught off guard saying like, oh, well, I would have, I would have done it for $200 a video. But if you had thrown out your numbers before asking the client if they had a budget, you would have billed $1,000 for that job, which is fine. That's a respectable fee. That's, that's well within the industry standard for that type of video, a bulk situation, no paid advertising buy, things like that. But if you just throw out your quote of, oh, I'll do it for you for $200 a video, total a thousand, you don't ask them what their budget is, then you've left $1,500 on the table because they had $2,500 reserved for voiceover talent. And that was the example that I think really just like the audience just kind of erupted in a like, holy cow, like I could have made double the money and I didn't know that. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I had uh, a whole line of people waiting to talk to me after that presentation. <laughs> Love it. Now, let me ask you, do you, because I find a lot of uh, talent will look at what is the word count of 
and, and charge that way. And I have an issue with that personally. Like, I don't think that's a, a, a place you should be looking at. To me, you should be looking at what type of project is this? Is this um, on air? Is this paid use on for the internet? So I'm just curious what you think about. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, I use per word only in the case of long form narration. So for e-learning narration, we're talking about 10 minutes plus of narration, corporate internal narration, I will use a per word uh, on more lengthy scripts. But yes, I agree. A per word threshold does not work for advertising, does not work for shorter videos, because otherwise you're going to be billing $70. You know, that's not what the cost of some of these projects are. And I also just remind people that like we are not paid based on how long it takes us to do the job. We are paid on how our voice is being used, whether that's in a paid capacity that potentially could cause conflicts or exclusivity issues down the road, or if it's just internal or you know distributed in a way that's public but not paid, all of those different things. So I, uh, similar to you, I think about the type of the project, and then I always think about whether or not there would be any conflict. So even if it's a paid advertising campaign or something that has paid media spend behind it, even if that client that's hiring me is not asking me to hold an official conflict or is not asking me for exclusivity, that doesn't mean that their competitor is going to want to hire me if it's running. So if I've done something for Colgate, but they say, you know, it's not exclusive, whatever, and it's a paid media buy, what happens if down the road, you know, Crest asks me to do something, but they want it to be exclusive. So you have to think about things like that, to think about what your time is worth in that paid advertising sphere. And if you can afford to be blocked out of a category for the time that it's running and make sure that you're you're compensated accordingly for that. So I personally think that each genre seems to have its own kind of unique eccentricities. You know, e-learning and corporate narration kind of goes one way. Telephony goes one way. Explainer videos go one way. Commercial and paid advertising is its whole own beast. Radio imaging tends to work on a retainer scale. So you need to really understand the different genres that you're kind of going for and know what the pricing structures are for those genres so that you're not taking your e-learning 30 cents a word rate and applying that to a 15 word word commercial. You know, that's that's just not an equivalent uh, scale. You know, there's certainly something to be said for, you know, everybody, everybody can set their own rates there in the marketplace. But also, you know, if you want to be a member of the professional community, then you should be charging professional prices. You know, this is not a a retail environment where we've got, you know, on sale, you know, rollbacks and red signs or whatever to try and get the job. I think we should try to uphold industry standards as much as possible. And sure, maybe my session fee is higher than someone, you know, who's only been in the in the industry for three years. But that doesn't mean, you know, someone who's just entered the industry should be doing a national commercial in perpetuity for $350. I think it's important to know if you're entering an industry to try and adhere to the standards that are in that industry and then, you know, move and flex within that. But, you know, just because you're new and starting out doesn't mean you have to sell the farm. Amen, sister. We're going to do a part two because this is so juicy and so wonderful. But I, before we round this out, I would love for you to share your thoughts on the internet because you so <laughs> often people will say, a client will come to talent and say, it's just going to be on the internet. Oh, yes. this drives me nuts when I hear that. Yes, it's the so, worst phrase, isn't it? <laughs> it's just 250. No, 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 no. Talk. <laughs> 
tell us what you think about the internet. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So I think for a long time, people have just used the phrase like, oh, it's just for the internet or, oh, it's just for the web. And a lot of it, I think, is probably rooted in just how the union contracts for commercials were originally designed. It was either a, you know, a TV network broadcast or a TV cable broadcast or a radio broadcast. And there really wasn't much beyond that you know, maybe things for in-store kiosks and things like that. But for paid advertising, there really weren't a lot of categories. Welcome to the internet. You know, it is now the Wild West. We have a completely new digital media ecosystem. And, you know, a network television show on NBC might be struggling to get three to four million viewers a night, but a cat video on YouTube has a hundred million views and has a pre-roll ad playing before each of them. So, uh, we have eyeballs and earballs, if you're listening to stuff, in, in every different kind of corner of the internet. And it's a brave new world. And uh, it has shifted and changed and adapted much faster than some of the larger institutions have been able to keep up with. So it's really important when you get a request from a client for a voiceover and they tell you, oh, it's just for the internet or, oh, it's just for the web. There's one question you need to ask. The question is, is there any paid advertising behind it? Meaning, are you paying to have this be a pre-roll ad on places like YouTube or Hulu? Are you paying to promote the ad? Meaning it will be placed into people's feeds on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, things like that. Is it going to be promoted and is there paid media spend behind it? If the answer is yes, then you want to know where and for how long and basically for who. You know, an ad that is going to be a pre-roll ad that targets people in Topeka, Kansas should be priced differently than something that's targeting people in New York City. Mm-hmm. The buyer may refer to both of those as a local ad, but local in New York City and local in Kansas are two different things. So ask the question, is there paid advertising behind it? If the answer is no, then you can price it accordingly based on the type of project it is. And you can feel okay about that. You know, it's just an explainer video that's going to live on their website, or they're going to use it in sales presentations, but they're not paying to put it in front of anybody's eyes. If the client says, yes, we're paying to put it in front of people's eyes, you want to ask them where, and you can use the Nielsen Media Market List to help you determine whether it should be charged like a local, a regional, or a national campaign. If it's anything below the top 10 media markets, then you know regional and local really comes into play. If it's above that, really you're looking at the types of populations that represent kind of a national or a high-level regional spend. And you can just find that. Nielsen has it published on their website. You want to know the campaign duration. You don't want to give away things. You don't want to give away things forever. If there's paid media behind it, you need start dates and end dates. And the reason is, is if you book something that asks for exclusivity down the road, they might ask for exclusivity across multiple platforms. It might be exclusivity across TV and radio and online advertising. So you want to make sure that you keep track of any time your voice is being used in a paid advertising capacity. So markets it's going to run in, start date and end date. And then just what is it? Is this something that is going to be a pre-roll video? That is a higher uh, spend for them on a media buy than something that's like a streaming radio ad that has no visuals and things like that. So you need to understand what they're trafficking, where they're trafficking it, trafficking it and whether or not they're paying to traffic it. Awesome. And that's why the question, it's just for web, the comment, <laughs> the comment, it's just for web doesn't mean anything anymore because the web is where all of the advertising is happening. Yep. And it, it's on our phones. It's everywhere. It's on our tablets. So yeah, absolutely. Where can folks learn about you? We're going to bring you back, but right oh, sure. now, we want to learn more about you. 
So my website is voicebymaria.com and I'm active on Instagram. My handle is at Maria Pendo, M-A-R-I-A-P-E-N-D-O. And then I also set up after vocation, actually, I set up a Calendly account where people can book time on my calendar. And I do have a 15 minute kind of peer-to-peer negotiation coaching that you can book if you find yourself in a pinch or you've been asked to develop a very complicated quote with lots of different usage and the rate guides are making your head spin. You can just go ahead and grab time on my calendar and I'd be happy to help you build uh, a quote that helps you get what you're worth. And you can find that at Calendly, that's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com slash voice by Maria. Guys, is she not incredible or what? A wealth of information and has such an awareness around the value we bring as voiceover talent. I love her words. Voiceovers is the intersection between art and commerce. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, listen, now I'm not affiliated with this webinar, but I am a big fan of Karen Guilfrey and obviously Maria Pendolino. She, Maria has a webinar that she's going to be doing. I believe it's on February 13th, which is actually the same day this episode will air. But that said, I feel it's totally worth trying to get into this webinar. I mean, Maria's the bomb. And it's called, it's with Voice Actors of NYC. And Voice Actors of NYC is a Facebook group. It's more than that. It's a huge community. It's awesome. And they hold events and they're holding an event, a webinar called Negotiation 101. Maria Pendolino is the one who's going to be delivering this amazing webinar. I think you guys should check it out. If you're a member of Voice Actors of NYC, you'll see all the information there. And I will see about putting a link up too. It's Negotiation 101. Highly, highly recommend it. All right, join me next week. Maria will be back with more fun stuff. And yeah, I know, I'm just smiling ear to ear. It's so great when you meet really good people. She's good peoples. Until next week, here's to owning our voices. 